After World War II, the mission for justice began. We are the Spy-Fi Guys, and this is Operation Finale. Welcome to the Spy-Fi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. First of all, we are back after a little little gap, just a, just a month. Yeah, we are back on the reduced schedule hopefully not forever but currently (laughs) yes and we're back covering the what movie what year this movie come out actually i don't i don't have it in front of me excellent question the movie operation finale from 2018 you know that seems like not that long ago but also a lifetime ago (laughs) that's right so i remember seeing this with you and our buddy sundeep who longtime listeners may recall from the prisoner episode i believe we saw it for free via the spy museum yeah, in my recollection, it was a spy museum screening, which I guess we've established that we've both seen the movie before, and this is our second time, or at least my second time. Did you see it any times in between? No, this was the second time as well, but I remembered it pretty well, though, mm-hmm. like often is the case, what I remembered of the movie turned out to be different from what it actually was. <laughs> but we'll talk about that as we went through. And in order to prepare for this episode, I read the book Hunting Eichmann. Mm-hmm. And I also read Eichmann in Jerusalem by Hannah Arendt. Hmm, okay. So that will both factor in as we go through the movie. And, of course, Spy Fact versus Fiction at the end. All right. Uh, well, why don't you get us started with our plot synopsis from IMDb. Okay, so the plot synopsis is very brief. Operation Finale 2018, a team of secret agents set out to track down the Nazi officer who masterminded the Holocaust. Uh, short, to the point. All right, so we start with a lot of text. Between 1939 and 1945, the Nazis murdered over 10 million enemies of the state, quotation mark, 6 million of them European Jews. At the end of the war, Hitler, Himmler, and Goring all escaped justice by taking their own lives. The remaining mastermind of the Holocaust vanished and was never brought to trial at Nuremberg. Okay, and already we sort of have issues here about whether Eichmann really was the mastermind of the Holocaust, whether that's actually an accurate way to describe him. Of course, the movie goes through this, but just keep that in mind as as we keep going. All right. A decade later, most of the world had stopped wondering what became of the head of the SS Office of Jewish Affairs, Adolf Eichmann. Mm -hmm. So we're brought into focus with the image of a woman intercut with Oscar Isaac, who is playing Peter Malkin. He's riding a car in uniform. He's got a fake mustache on. Yep. <laughs> we have a family scene at Christmas. You know, all seems pretty innocent, but then you notice, oh, there's swastikas on books on the shelf. Yeah, they didn't exactly hide it too well. <laughs> no. This is Austria, 1954. And uh, Malkin claims he's Lieutenant Dalton. And, and he's British. British, yeah, very British accent. I, you know what? Uh-huh. I think this is when I first realized that Oster Isaac can do like a lot of different accents. And this is, you know, a different British accent than, say, the one he utilizes later, years later in Moon Knight as a, ooh, I don't remember what his altar in Moon Knight is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they grab the husband. He pulls the phone out of the, uh, out of the ca- or phone cable out of the wall. Apparently his, you know, the guy who they grab's wife thinks he was a medic. And then he notices very quickly that they grabbed the wrong guy because there's only two children instead of three. Right. Well, also, I wanted to point out that they they switched the books around to hide the swastikas. So you're already kind of like, well, 
No, they didn't switch him out. They put him in a higher place so they were less able to be seen. Okay, the point is they yeah. hid them yeah. when they heard the knock at the door. So, I don't know, did you actually buy that he wasn't a Nazi? What do you think? No, I think he's a Nazi. He's just the wrong Nazi. Well, yes, obviously. That is true. <laughs> but yeah, so um, Malkin realizes the wrong guy. He was a gunshot outside, is running... Uh, but the other mm-hmm. guys in his team don't care. He was a Nazi. He was probably on someone else's list. Someone's list, yeah. Yeah. So we go to an image, or Eichmann speaking to some other Nazis. He's telling a story about how some, there was someone who was mistaken for him. And this is intercut with images of Jewish families in the Holocaust. Yeah. And then we go to a credit scene, which is images of Eichmann typing of his files, maps, and him painting all intercut with each other, which I thought was a cool. And then also, like, you know, on the maps, you have all the little markers for all the different concentration camps and red, uh, red lines. string, yeah, tying them all together. I.e. Charlie Day. Meme. <laughs> so right. I like this opening credits. It's very old school. Movies mm-hmm. don't do this so much anymore, at least yeah. not the big budget Hollywood mm-hmm. movies. Even the, the biggest budget Hollywood movies are too good for even a title. They wait until the end of the movie <laughs> well, and then I mean, they put the title on. You know who started a lot of that, right? Wasn't it Steven Spielberg? No, Star Wars. Well, at least with Star Wars, you got the title right in the Yeah, beginning. you do. But yeah, but there was actually a hubbub about like that they didn't have credits in the opening and didn't, and they weren't until the very end. But anyways, we're off topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go to Buenos Aires in 1960. There's a girl in a theater watching this a movie called Imitation of Life from 1959. Were you familiar with this movie? I was not. At first, I thought it was West Side Story. I was like, no, that doesn't I also sound right. So, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the reason it's in, well, part of the reason it's in here is because the the girl in Imitation of Life, the actress in Imitation of Life, is the mother of the director, Chris Weitz. Oh, okay. Yeah. It serves the plot really well. It does, it does, yeah. So the girl in the theater is Sylvia. She notices a few boys, a few rows behind her, making some noise, but and she thinks one of them is cute, and decides to talk to him after the movie. Okay, in what scenario, like... You see this in movies all the time, but come on, really? Like, why would you give any attention to a bunch of guys who are being idiots in a movie when you're trying to watch a movie? I don't know. This is just me. Been a decent amount of time since you and I were teenagers. And I also think that the times may have affected Mm -hmm. it. You know, teenage boys engage in attention-seeking behavior and they get the attention that they want. But... Mm -hmm. Were you going to talk about what exactly they were doing in the movie theater? I didn't want to jump ahead. I didn't actually catch what... What were they doing? They were, were they throwing popcorn or what were they doing? Yeah. No, no, no. So what, it's very interesting. So what happens in the movie yeah. is... Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The girl that the guy is interested in turns out to be mixed race and he like flips out about it. Right. Yeah. And the boys, the very Aryan looking boys think this is hilarious. Oh, that's what it was. That's right. Yeah. I was just sort of... I was distracted by the movie, so I didn't actually notice what was... What they were... Yeah. Yeah, so, okay. so you get the impression that they're like Nazi adjacent or yeah. whatever, uh, which of course turns out to be 100% true. Sylvia talks to the boy whose name is Klaus. Klaus, yeah. Turns out that, you know, they're both German. Sylvia brings a, a Klaus back to her home. We find out that Klaus's father was in the SS, but he was killed and he lives with his uncle now. Mm-hmm. And Sylvia's father of asks if he, you know, Klaus has ever thought about going back to Germany. And that's when Klaus makes a lot of anti-Semitic statements. <laughs> yeah, he just like goes off on a rant about yeah. it. 
It's a bit of a Nazi stereotype or a neo-Nazi stereotype, but whatever. I mean, probably true. I, I've I never don't know any Nazis, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we go over to Mossad HQ in Tel Aviv. Yes. Some they reveal that they got a lead on Eichmann, and uh, those who are, you know, the higher ups are skeptical. I wasn't sure, but yeah, this confirms that Sylvia's father was blind. He had sunglasses on, and it was night. Mm-hmm. But maybe he was just cool like that. Yeah, he's not that cool. No, o- old guy born before 1900. Cool. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to jump in here with two mm-hmm. actors in this part. So first we have Lior Raz, okay. who plays Etan, I believe mm-hmm. is the character's name. So Lior Raz is a real life former undercover agent. Oh, so cool. his big okay. show on Netflix is called Fauda, which is a mm-hmm. Israeli TV series about Israeli military people who pose as Arabs and infiltrate the West Bank to get terrorists. Interesting. Okay. That's what Leo Raz did in real life, and that's what he does in the show. Uh-huh. And now he's jumped to movies, so it's cool. nice to see him here. Yeah. And then who's the other guy? And then the other guy is Nick Kroll, the comedian. Do you know him? He was in The League. I never watched The League. Hold on. I have to. I know the name. Yeah. But I'm like... Oh he, yeah, he plays. Yeah, the um, troll show. No, I meant in in this movie, his his character name is Rafi. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. See, I knew he looked familiar. Couldn't place him where mm-hmm. you know where. And I'm looking his IMDb. I don't know that I've seen much he's in, but he does look familiar, and I know the name. Yeah, he mostly does comic stuff, and he does mm-hmm. comedy in this movie. Right, and he's a, like a quick story about him. Uh, that, that I wanted to share since it's very applicable to this. I went to the League panel at New York Comic Con a long okay. time ago, probably like 10 years ago. And I wore this old T-shirt that is really faded, so don't wear it too often. But it's a Captain America shirt ah, yes. with a six-pointed star rather than a five-pointed star. Mm. The League, as you probably may have deduced, is a, a lot of mean-spirited comedy. And it's kind of like it's always sunny in Philadelphia where the characters are constantly making fun of each other. So what they would do when people would come up to ask the questions is they would make fun of everybody who came up to ask them a question. (laughs) For me, they were just like, are you Captain Israel? (laughs) I actually got off fairly light, but, you know, there was people dressed in Goku. They really gave it to them. So So Sylvia's father is blind, so they are skeptical of this information. But, you know, they heard the name. He heard the name Eichmann. Uh, mm. Also, it's revealed that Sylvia doesn't know that uh, she's Jewish. Right. And she was raised Catholic. Which means she isn't necessarily going to push back against Klaus's Nazi-like right, tendencies. Right. At least not at first. They also talk about how their resources are limited. Mm-hmm. This is Leo Raz talking. He's like, we have enough problems to deal with. The state has only existed for like six years. And so this reminded me, and not for the last time, of Munich. Yeah. Yeah, see, this movie reminds me of a weird combination of Munich and uh, Argo. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I'm not weird in a bad way, but it's like, you know, it doesn't seem like that makes sense. But if you watch it, it actually does in terms of just the way that it's set up. Anyway, so we go over to Malkin, who is in the gym doing some fight training, sparring against this other guy whose name is Aharani. Mm-hmm. We find out that Malkin pretty much only gets the worst jobs. He's, I guess, because no one likes him. Or what is it? What is it? Why is that? In this scene, my note is, I feel like Oscar's really channeling Poe Dameron. <laughs> and this, of course, was when the Star Wars sequels were still pretty hot. Yeah, yeah. 2015 was the first, was Force Awakens, and I guess 2017 was uh, last yeah. Jedi. Yeah. 
So, like Poe Dameron, this character, Peter Malkin, always has a smart remark. He, he's always pushing back when people push on him. Mm-hmm. And he's just not as charismatic as Poe Dameron, though. And uh, certainly, unlike Poe Dameron, he's not the best of the best. <laughs> no. We cut to him later. He has a painting behind him, which apparently he paints. And he has flashbacks to a woman with her children who's killed. This is the same woman who's in the very intro scene. Right. Now we cut back to Argentina with a fancy party, seemingly. Klaus has brought Sylvia. And then immediately I notice Klaus wearing a red armband, which has alarm bells. <laughs> yeah, the whole armband thing, no matter what color it is, uh-uh. that seems to have died <laughs> with Nazism. Uh-huh. You don't see too many people with armbands anymore. A man whose name is Carlos, what's it, Fulner? is speaking and has a big Nazi speech. He's asked, what do we do with the, you know, this problem? Soap. So, yeah, a couple of things about this. So, first yeah. of all, this reminds me of, like, those classic pulp adventure comics and also superhero comics mm-hmm. where you're hanging around and all of a sudden there's just Nazis. <laughs> there's yeah. a huge group of Nazis having a party in a basement somewhere. But also, the guy's speech is reminiscent of that of Hitler's speeches. Right. So, I haven't seen a ton of Hitler's speeches, but I did mm-hmm. watch one once where Hitler did like, who are these people that are causing problems? Who are these people that are undermining our country? And then he just waits for somebody else to say the Jews. Uh Yeah. So this guy does the same thing, which is Mm -hmm. interesting. And at the end of that, all the shouting, they start shouting. Well, after they stop shouting soap, they start shouting Sigheil. Yeah. Just in case he didn't get it. Yeah. And at that point, what's her name? Sylvia is very uncomfortable and leaves in a huff. Mm. Rightfully so. Yeah. So we get some sort of montage of Malkin at a cafe. He notices an older man's um, Holocaust tattoo. Yeah, which He's, I liked because it shows that it really wasn't that long ago. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, is on his way to his mom's, bringing flowers, plays with the neighborhood kids. His mother is upset because she broke the photo of his sister, like the frame. But only the frame, not the picture yeah, not itself. The photo itself. Yeah, but, you know. So they have dinner, and the mom asks about Hannah, who's apparently an ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But their phone rings, and she like says, "Do not answer this." You know, it's Shabbat. This is a classic spy movie thing. So before we get to the phone call, I wanted to yeah. jump in a couple of things here. Sure. He, he says, "Wow, a new fridge," and she's like, "Yup." Oh, and yeah. then they also have a phone. So as we have discussed in the past, I like Israel. I like Israeli history. Mm-hmm. I like reading about it. And this jumped out to me because of my prior knowledge, which is. In the first 20 years or so of Israel's existence, uh-huh. the bureaucracy of getting everyday household appliances was a total shit show. Oh, part of okay. my I didn't know that. Like, if you hear from people who were living there at the time, they would be like, it took 10 years to get like a phone. Wow. Be- because just like going through the bureaucracy and getting permits and all that jazz. So right. for these guys having a fridge and a phone in mm-hmm. 1954, they're actually in really good shape. I think this is 1960 already, but yes. Yeah, 1960. It started right. in 1954, and it's, you know, that was the opening scene, and then jumped to 60s. Yep. I guess that makes a little bit more sense, then. But that still. They, that by 1960, things would have calmed down a bit. Yeah. What's the what's the rule against answering a phone during Shabbat? The, yeah, you're just not supposed to do it. It depends okay. on how... They don't seem especially religious. Uh-huh. I think this would be kind of more like, to use a spy movie cliche, it's Saturday. Uh, don't pick okay. up it's saturday it's got, got. With the family. didn't know for my name not jewish at all right. well <laughs> so i'm i know there's it wasn't there like something about not using fire or electro like 
right. during Shabbat. If you're religious, you're not supposed to use machines it's, on yeah, Shabbat. Okay. That's and what certainly is, yeah. a phone would definitely be against the rules, but they don't seem religious. Right, so. right. Okay. Yeah. That's that's what I was like. I, I was like, I wanted to make sure I got that right. Because I like, I think that's right, but I don't, yeah. I don't, don't actually know. Mm-hmm. So Malkin gets brought in uh, and briefed on Operation Finale. Apparently Sylvia is going to take them, take some of their people who are already on the ground, including, uh, I always forget his name, Ahorani, mm-hmm. uh, to Klaus's family home so they see if they can get a positive ID on Eichmann. Yeah. Malkin, you know, is hearing all these plans about how to extract them. He's like, you know what, why don't we just, you know, put a bullet in them and save us the trouble? But apparently the prime minister wants a trial. Yeah, this reminded me of Zero Dark Thirty when Jessica Chastain was like, I just wanted to drop a bomb on him. I didn't even <laughs> want to use you guys. Yeah. Malkin makes a new plan on how to extract Eichmann. They apparently need to extract him by plane. That's And with that, they need a good cover story. It also just so happens to be Argentina's... 60th. 100, I thought it was 150th. Could be. I don't remember. <laughs> I, I have the note 60 on the anniversary, but it may be 60 days until the anniversary. I think that it's an anniversary. Right. Yeah. I think it's 150, 50th anniversary. So the cover story is that was, you know, because the Jewish or the Israeli airline, is it El Av? El Al. El Al, sorry. Yeah. El Al doesn't usually make trips to Argentina, but, you know, they make it a special occasion. So they sent, they're sending people and that's right. a good cover story for them. They're going to drug Eichmann, but they need Hannah who has the experience and field training. Mm-hmm. So Malkin goes to see his ex, Hannah, at the hospital. Hey, it's Shoshana Dreyfus, a.k.a. Mademoiselle Mimou, Mimou, I forget how you pronounce the name, from uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, that's the only role I think any of us will know from her. Because we don't watch French movies. Well, yeah, what I'm saying is she's mostly been in French movies, except for this one and Inglorious Bastards. Based on, so what, does she only do movies about hunting Nazis? I wonder if she's a French Jewish actor. She is actually. I did look okay. that up. Not like she looks Jewish. If you no, know but I mean. you you know, with two different roles of that, you, which made me wonder about Oscar Isaac as well, because here and Moon Knight playing a Jewish character, mm. apparently he may have some Jewish ancestry on his father's side, but he's a says he's a whole mix of stuff. There you go. She doesn't want to join a hit squad, but he convinces Hannah to join by. You know, saying it's in Argentina, they'll have good steak and, and salsa dancing, which mm-hmm. I don't watch. Should they, never mind. They do eat a lot of meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he basically works on her and he works his charm and she already yeah. kind of likes him. But she has her own traumas in the past, too. She mentions that her last job, she screwed up and someone died, but it was ru- ruled as a he had an allergy. So it wasn't her fault. Yeah. So we cut back to Argentina. Uh, Haroni and another Mossad agent whose name is, is this Ephraim? Uh, yeah. Are driving Sylvia to the house. He, they create some sort of, said, you know, get find some way to get the uncle outside of the house. Mm-hmm. So she goes in and she meets Eichmann or, well, I don't, I don't have what his cover name is written down. Clement. Nicholas Clement is his cover mm-hmm. name. And apparently they've heard all about her, so, you know, trying to welcome him, have sit her down for a cup of tea she brings a present to apologize for the you know you know embarrassing him last time class comes in he's still pretty upset about it and kind of disrespects her and which point she leaves and then 
Eichmann is threatening. Well, not threatening. I would say. Well, how would you describe what he does to Klaus? He just being slightly physically abusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. That's a. That's... Did you pick up on the clues dropped here? Oh yes. I immediately he says, yeah. "I'm sorry, father," and then Eichmann tries to cover by saying, "You need don't need to call me that." <laughs> yeah, and then also when his wife says, "This year, even more so." Oh yeah. Uh, I see. I didn't catch that. Yeah, about the flowers. There's a little bit of like Sherlock Holmes detective stuff, which I was yeah. not expecting. Uh, yeah. Sylvia runs outside of the house. Klaus goes after her. And then Eichmann also comes outside. And at that point, Ephraim actually gets a photo with, it's like a camera hidden inside a, a briefcase. Yeah, that's right. So a little a little preview for Spy Fact versus Fiction, because I have tons of it, is okay. they did use a briefcase camera, not in this part, but uh-huh. the, the shutter control was on the handle. Ah, so they, cool. they would just kind of point at like a gun and be like, click, yeah. click, click. So there's a meeting of the entire team who's going to be extracting Eichmann. And they have, but, you know, they have to make sure it's him. Malkin realizes the clue that you picked up on the flowers. Apparently it was the, it, that day was the 25th wedding anniversary. And so they were like, nope, it's definitely him. Yeah, which I do not. I would not say it's definitely him based on that, but they didn't ask me. Well, there was also, I mean, there was a lot of different things. It was, you know, the name Eichmann, the fact that the son had the name Eichmann and the mm. ears father. was what the thing, like the forensic ph- photographers said. Okay, so the ears. So this reminds yes. me of another movie I watched, a documentary called The Imposter, okay. which is very good. All right. And I won't tell you everything that happens because it has some twists and turns, but there's a part where they use ears to see if the guy claiming to be this one person is in fact the same person because mm-hmm. ears are very hard to trick. Like you can disguise yourself, but right. your ears are not going to change shape. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. So one of the other team members, Moshe wants to kill Eichmann instead of making him famous. And he tries to get, you know, everyone to say how many members of their family they lost in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And like shuts it down. And he's saying, I'm not playing this game. Right. And as they're doing this, uh, Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion comes to meet them. Yeah, and before that, though, I have a note. In 1960, the is the Pope Catholic joke is still new and funny. Because <laughs> Nick Kroll says that and everybody laughs out loud. Oh, man. But yeah, so David Ben-Gurion shows up, the first Prime Minister of Israel. And I think we've discussed this before, but do mm-hmm. you remember what relatively famous comic book character's appearance is based on David Ben-Gurion? Ooh, ooh, ooh. No. Okay, it's Ganthet from Green Lantern. Oh, that makes sense. I was like, all right, I was running down. I was like, it, I, if, I was like, it feels like something from that like Neil Adams era, but I couldn't place it. But yes, yeah. mostly his hair yeah, or lack yeah. thereof, and by default, like all of the other, you know, uh, guardians. Guardians, thank you. So we have a montage of fake passports and travel they all travel indirect routes which i'm mm-hmm. like okay that's good they're not all just flying on the same plane to get there yeah they have nice cover stories hannah and uh ooh, i don't remember this one's this guy's name yeah there's a lot of characters it's to remember their names. so hannah and yakov are posing as like a married couple or something mm-hmm. they go to rent some cars and at that point like he tries to seems like he's trying to make a move on her but she like rebuffs him yeah, he got a little bit too into the role, yeah, is what yeah. I would say. Yeah, so this is a little bit like Argo 2, where they have to get cars, they have to get mm-hmm. safe houses, they mm-hmm. have to do all this paperwork. Yeah, I like the they set up the safe house, they inspect it, 
And then we go over to Eichmann doing another, you know, story time at a Nazi meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and they're also plotting to, like, take over Argentina. Yeah. Right? So Frumer is trying to convince him that they can come out of the shadows. You know, we have the support of, uh, you know, this many people. And right. Eichmann another is... classic yeah. <laughs> adventure story plot line. So Malkin and Aharoni are surveilling Eichmann's house. They discover that he has, like, he's like clockwork. He has a very strict schedule, you know, takes a bus to and from the Mercedes factory. Mm-hmm. So they figure out that they will grab him after he gets off the bus but and crosses over to where his house is. Yeah, which Tom Clancy taught us, if you think you're being targeted, don't ever have the same routine. That was in <laughs> Patriot Games. Right. But he doesn't think he's being targeted. He's generally suspicious, but he has no reason to think he's any more being targeted right now than he has been in the last 20 years. True, true. Although, how I don't know. How suspicious does is he? Well, they talk about in the book how careful they have to be because if they make him really suspicious at all, he could easily run and then they'd never find him again. Right, Because it right, took right. him years and years to find him the first time. Well, I'm just saying, but in general, how it doesn't seem like he's, you know, hiding too much i mean like he's not there's nothing overtly like you know he doesn't have routines any long circuitous routes to try to you know avoid any tales coming going to and coming from places yeah i think it's safe to say that by this point he gotten pretty comfortable with this okay that's the point i was trying to make yeah yeah as they're driving at one point malkin and ephraim hear about gary powers's capture on a radio he's giving a shout out that's nice i mean okay i was like oh wait yeah nope the timeline matches up (laughs) But I don't think they would trade them <laughs> if they yeah. got caught. No. And so they go and recruit some um, local Jews to help who are known as... Cyanium. Cyanium, yeah, thank you. Yep. So they're practicing and training for the extraction. And their boss, whose name is Harrell, it says that you know after that point, he'll have mm-hmm. no more contact with him. So they're going to exchange money in, in cafes. Which that was they have a little cool little montage, you know. One, you know, is given yeah the cream for the coffee, puts money in the creamer, and it's brought mm-hmm. directly to the next person. And yeah, it's a nice little exchange. Classic spy stuff. Mm-hmm. At one point, while they're surveilling Eichmann, Malkin has some more flashbacks. Sees his sister, who we you know we figure out is the woman in in the flashbacks hanging from a tree. Mm-hmm. You know, after he has his flashback, Hannah senses something. They have an almost romantic moment in a car. And he's like, nope, not until this is done. Yep. <laughs> Which, of course, that never really gets. No. There's no payoff for that, but okay. <laughs> Everyone loads into cars. And we see Eichmann, you know, waiting for the bus. And he's watching board birds in the this weird formation. I've never seen birds do that. Have you? Yeah, I have. It's freaky. It looks like some kind of drone attack is about yeah. to happen. I can see why people are afraid of birds, but it looks really cool. <laughs> it does, yeah. It's a cool visual. But it's like, wow, I like. I wasn't sure if that was a thing that actually happened. It was that all right? Weird omen. Yeah, it does. It does. So the, the cars get into position. One pretends to be broken down nearby the path of the bus, and as they're watching, a first bus comes. No one gets off, and so they're you know wondering, wait, what's going on? And then minutes mm-hmm. later, Eichmann got gets off a second bus. Yeah, so he was late mm-hmm. to the late bus. Which sets off their suspicions a little bit. Yeah, well, they're like freaking out. <laughs> yeah. And so as the, they're going, or as Eichmann is walking towards his house, Malkin grabs him, but Eichmann manages to let out a scream. Eichmann's 
wife is suspicious and is like, you know, like thinks she right. hears something, goes outside, doesn't see anything, and they manage to get away. Yeah, but they lose his glasses in the oh, process, right. so it's not yeah. a very well done grab. And as they're driving, they put these uh, little things on their uh, car that says CD, uh, right. which gets them through the checkpoints. We'll talk about that in Spy Fact versus Spy Fiction. Okay. Klaus later finds his father's glasses in the field, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. Eichmann is brought back to the safe house. He's Actually, is he tied to a chair or is he just not He's just sitting there, yeah. He's just sitting there. I have in my notes tied to a chair, but like, that was probably an assumption. But Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Aharoni starts his interrogation, tries to trip Mikeman up, shouts the wrong SS number at him. At yeah, that was point, cool. You know, Eichmann's like, you know what? Yes, no, this is my real SS number, and I accept my fate. Yeah, so he tries to convince him at first that he's Jewish. Oh, uh, yes. And he says the uh, a Jewish prayer at one point, so... Uh-huh. In the book, they say that when he started to do that in real life, a bunch of Asians had to leave the room to keep themselves from strangling him to death right mm. then and there. Well, they were pretty yeah. pissed off about it. Understandably. I was like yelling at the TV, look at his deck. Just look at his deck. You'll find out if he's Jewish. I <laughs> uh, did not think of that. Oh, boy. So they didn't ask me. <laughs> Once they've gotten to admit, the team toasts their success. Mm-hmm. And Klaus, you know, asks, goes to the other Nazis for help. They're trying to figure out who else knew. And he sees Sylvia's present in the corner and realizes that she has, must have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. At which point, Sylvia's father is taken in by the Argentinian police. Some good twists and turns here. Yeah. Fryam comes back to the team with news about the plane. It's been delayed for 10 days. So in that time period, they need to watch Eichmann. And they're going to have to do it 24 hours, do it in shifts. But Aharoni is supposed to, the interrogator is supposed to be the only one who actually talks to him. Yeah, so I remember this being much more of the movie. Yeah, right? Like, in my memory, most of the movie was them in the safe house. And there's the <laughs> psychological thing between Oscar Isaac and Ben Kingsley. But going back and watching it again, it's really not the case. It's yeah. only about 20 minutes of a two-hour movie. Malkin has more Holocaust flashbacks, a truck full of bodies with Malkin's sister on the top. Mm-hmm. And... This is when he's watching Eichmann at one point. Okay, but wait. So I want to talk about the truck full of dead bodies. So in my memory, Mm -hmm. it was one of those portable gas chamber trucks. Uh Uh But I don't think it is. I think it's just a truck full of dead bodies. As I think I may have said before, I'm not the biggest fan of Holocaust movies because I find them kind of gratuitous. Yeah. In this case, I probably would have preferred you didn't need to actually show a truck full of dead bodies to get mm-hmm. the picture. I mm-hmm. think the hanged sister was probably shocking enough. Right. But then I remember talking to you where you're like, well, audiences are dumb and they need to be reminded about what's going on because they're not in the know. <laughs> did I say that at the time or did I, are you just thinking of what I would say? <laughs> I was thinking what you would say and what okay, you have yeah. said about many other movies, yes. but not this one. Yeah, no. I feel like also, yeah, on the one hand, it was not as gratuitous as it could have been. No, that is certainly true. So I, I think it struck just the right tone of, all right, you know, and it doesn't shows it, but it doesn't like linger on it, really. You, it's just enough to see that, oh, you know, you see um, right. Malkin's sister on the top. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so this up, and he's having this flashback while he's doing one of his one of his shifts to watch Eichmann, and he's like tempted to wake him up, but doesn't, or wake him up or kill him. We're not really sure. 
Yeah, I interpreted it more as he was tempted to kill him right then and there. Yeah, uh, we find out that the Argentinian police are claiming her father is Joseph Mengele. Which, I don't believe that was actually the case. I don't even think they needed to have a pretension yeah, to arrest but... him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we find out that El Al is re- refusing to send the plane unless there's a signed document from Eichmann saying he's coming willingly. Mm-hmm. So they need to get that and also need to replace his glasses so he can actually see what's in the signed letter. Which they do somehow. Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that. <laughs> How do they know yeah. his prescription? Maybe he knows his prescription and they, he's, you know, there's yeah, no good Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, Haroni tries to get him a sign. Eichmann, you know, denies the title of the architect of the final solution and mm-hmm. says that you know, we all had our, you know, nicknames and titles to make, you know, so gruesome work light. Yeah. Okay. So this is the whole Eichmann in Jerusalem thing. So I'm not going to hold up the discussion too much. Okay. If you're curious about the book, you can check it out. I've also heard that it's since been debunked, but I don't know for sure. That's right. just in my memory. But what Hannah Arendt argues in it was that Eichmann's reputation as like the mastermind behind the holocaust is not true and also even if it were true the question of how responsible is he for everything really because Mm. if he didn't do it they would have just killed him and got someone else to do it so the problem is really the system right okay it's it's the system that's the problem trying to pin it all on this one guy really isn't fair or really accurate eichmann talks about in the movie it's going to be a show trial like i really don't have a chance of being found innocent. Right. And Hannah agrees with him about that. But mm-hmm. she also says, well, just being a Nazi that high up, yeah. he deserved to die anyway. Hmm. So it's not like he was ever going to make it out alive. It's right. just a larger question, almost more philosophy than history of like, how much can you really pin on this one guy? Hmm. Okay. I mean, he's not Hitler. He's just one of the lieutenants and not even a particularly high one. As you say, he says he's just a cog in machine. He claims that he was chained to his desk 24 hours a day. But of course, mm. once he's saying all these things, we have are shown footage that contradicts that shows him in the woods, you know, as he's going to see an execution. Yeah. But is it an unreliable narrator? I mean, like, I don't know. Yeah. No, that's it's exactly what it is. It's, but mm. anyways. Yeah, he did visit the camps at least once. Now, what he saw there yeah, is, is another story. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. We'll get to that as you know more is revealed mm-hmm. about the, the flashbacks that he's having. So Rafi is paying one of the, okay, what is it? Sayanim? Sayanim, yeah. Money to go buy groceries. And she happens to notice where the money is being hidden in a mirror, mm-hmm. uh, which is like in, what, a light fixture? Yeah. Uh, Haroni trades with Malkin to feed Eichmann. That's a weird way to phrase that. So uh, yeah. <laughs> let me start that again. It's Aharoni's t- turn to feed Eichmann, but he's just like, no, I can't. Can someone please do it? And so yeah. Malkin volunteers. Well, he volunteers because he wants to talk to him again. Yeah. Get closer to him. And Eichmann recognizes Malkin's voice and knows that that's the one who grabbed him. And Eichmann asks if his family is safe, and Malkin doesn't answer. Aw, he's nice. He cares about his family. So Fulner tells Klaus that he heard about two Jews returning rental cars paid for in U.S. dollars mm-hmm. and says that we'll find them by seeing who has U.S. dollars. Yeah, so this was a good tension, how the net is like mm-hmm. closing on them yep. while they're dealing with this problem of getting him to sign. So Malkin thinks that he can make Eichmann sign, says appeal to his ego, and Aharoni scoffs at him, says, you do your job and I'll do mine. <laughs> yeah. At one point, uh, 
Eichmann has to use the bathroom. And mm. so he's, you know, sitting there as they're, you know, still with his, you know, taped up goggles on. So he can't see anything. Yeah. Tells a story. What was this story? This was about, I don't, I didn't quite. It was some kind of joke about yeah, the perfect Nazi is as blonde as Hitler oh, not, and taller than this other guy. Or this other it was the, the story about him and his father and how he needed to shit somewhere. I don't remember that. Yeah, that's that's what that's apparently. Yeah, he's telling that as he's you know taking a crap. Right. Well, the point is he he seems all nice. So they're they're yeah. doing this thing in the movie, which is not really based in reality, where okay. he's doing this Hannibal Lecter thing, where he uh, seems all nice, but you know deep down he's a monster, and he's yeah. revealed to be a monster later. Anyways, once he's back in the room, Malkin tells him that his family. He asks again about his family and says, "Yes, your family's safe." Mm-hmm. And we see that Klaus and the Nazis have a sketch of Ephraim. So, the, like you said, the net is closing in. Right. And Moshe is angry about having to feed and care for Eichmann. You know, it's his shift next. But Malkin says, no, no, you, you're too angry. So I'll take your shift instead. Yeah, they're feeling the pressure. They're mm-hmm. feeling the strain of yeah. days and days and days. Pretty well done. Yeah. yeah. So when he goes to take his shift, Malkin takes off Eichmann's blindfold Starts talking to him, ask him why he won't sign, trying to appeal to his ego. Also, you know, gives him a cigarette and also and gives him a shave. And as he's doing so, asks about if he really called, you know, the concentration camps, the liquidation machines. Mm-hmm. And then Eichmann tries to claim that he tried to get Jews out of the country, send them to Madagascar. Right. Which I don't, is there any truth in that? Well, I was hoping you would look at first five factors, especially. But so, what I recall from my memory—this is my yeah. memory—is there were various schemes in the early days of Nazi Germany to get the Jews just to leave Germany and uh-huh. Europe instead of killing them. So there yeah. were various schemes to accomplish that. Some of which were done with early Zionists to get them moved uh-huh. to Israel. He mentions trucks for lives with this guy named Doctor Castor, but the problem as I think Eichmann says in yeah. the movie, is that no country wanted to take them. Mm. I'll let that hang there. Mm-hmm. Malkin tells Hannah they spoke with Eichmann. She tries to counter that everything Eichmann had said about you know everyone being animals and mm-hmm. tells Malkin to you know keep your distance. But of course, Malkin ignores this. And next scene we see him is he's helping Eichmann with like exercises. They're listening to music. Yeah, Clarice, don't let him take you in, Clarice. <laughs> Eichmann wants to know more about Malkin, says, and Malkin says, you can know everything about me, anything you want, after you sign. Yeah. He says, all right, well, what about, how about, a, tell me your name in exchange for consideration of my terms. We're, yeah. It's left hanging on whether or not he actually does. So, yeah, that is also kind of Hannibal. I know I keep yeah. bringing it up, but it is kind of Hannibal Lecter-ish. Yeah. So Harrell tells them that they're running out of time and they really need to get get him to sign. Hmm. So we see Malkin getting Eichmann ready for forged passport photos, and he's still trying to convince him to sign. They put a fake mustache on Eichmann. To get the picture, yeah. Yeah. And Yakov is sent on a walk because he's making everyone nervous. And as he's walking in the rain, he sees that the Germans are searching for them. He hides, grabs a rock just in case he needs to kill one of them. <laughs> it does Finally, some action. <laughs> He gets back to the safe house and tells them to hide Eichmann. Mm-hmm. The Nazis are just about to leave. Yakov is, is trying to stop Eichmann from shouting, but that quickly turns into Eichmann choke or Yakov choking Eichmann. Accidentally. 
Yeah, Eichmann calls out Malkin's name, and everyone mm-hmm. figures out that Eichmann knows Malkin's name and has been talking to him and giving him cigarettes. Oh my gosh, so much arguing. Yeah, Malkin still thinks that he can get him to sign, and Hannah convinces Harrell to just at least let him try. And Harrell's like, all right, you know, we have literally no other options. <laughs> right. So Malkin talks to Eichmann, gives him a drink. Eichmann's trying to find out who Malkin lost. He shows uh-huh. Eichmann a photo of his sister, Fruma, who had three children who were killed as well. Right. They have this whole back and forth about... Watch what? Yeah, I'm trying to remember now what the back and forth is. Okay, so I remember this because it's interesting. So he's like, Eichmann, you kill people indiscriminately. And Eichmann's like, oh, yeah, well, your country has nuclear bombs and they kill indiscriminately too, even though you've never used them. So it's not really the same thing. (laughs) That's all I I got. He also says um, that he wants to see his wife again. Eichmann does. And Malkin promises if you sign, then I will make it sure that. You will see her again, and that's what convinces him to sign. Though yep. I always thought it was kind of funny. It's like, yeah, you can see her again once you're in prison. Ooh. <laughs> I never said when. Right. So the rest of the team are waiting in the living room of the safe house. Hannah goes to congratulate Malkin. Yeah, it's this big hero moment. Mm-hmm. And Eichmann has, you know, another flashback. This time showing more of it. There's, he's In the flashback, there's a woman holding up a child. You know, seemingly asking Eichmann to save the child. And then you see, you don't see them getting shot, but you see the blood splatter on his uniform. Yeah, I didn't like this whole part. I thought it was really excessive, but that's Mm -hmm. me. So we now see Graciela Sayanim, who has stolen the money Mm. and is trying to exchange the U.S. dollars for pesos. And we see that she's captured and tortured. Right. By the Argentinian Nazis. Yeah. And Klaus and Fulner arrive, and Klaus gets her to talk, and, t- and she tells him where the safe house is. Yeah, he's the good cop, Klaus mm-hmm. is. So the team are packing up the safe house. Hannah is giving Eichmann the sedative. As he's getting the sedative, um, Malkin is also there, and he's Eichmann is telling a story about 5,000 Jews in a pit and about a woman in the pit betting to save her child. And we have the flashback again, and, but now it shows Fruma, mm. Walkner's sister, as the woman trying to, you know, save right. her child, which it wasn't before. I actually went back and said, wait, was that Fruma the first time? No, it was not. It was some other woman. Nope. She died differently, yeah. we saw. But really, he's just trying to get a rise out of Malkin, and Malkin is getting so pissed off and wanting to strangle Eichmann that he's like almost, that he's trying to get... Uh, Hannah to leave the room, but it was really weird. This is like him going full evil, and I didn't understand why. Was it just to try to get Malkin to kill him? So he didn't. No, it was just trying to get a rise out of him. Now, okay, you know, all right, he's he's resigned to his fate, but that doesn't mean he can't mess with them in the process. It's yeah, but why did he wait so long to start messing with them then? Because now that he's gotten his guard down, he has all the information he needs to mess with them. I guess so. I, I wondered, this is my theory, is that he okay. seemed too sympathetic for most of the movie. Uh, so you need to remind the audience that, no, he's really a terrible person. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why I thought it would be interesting. And I know the movie is not a philosophical movie like mm-hmm. Eichmann in Jerusalem, but it would have been quite interesting if they had had him seem totally sympathetic the entire time. But you know, in the back of your mind, that he is, in fact, a Nazi. I don't know that that would have worked. For a movie. 
It would have been interesting. Um, yeah. But I, I think know. they just threw this in at the end so that you're less sympathetic to him. Because Ben Kingsley did too good of a job portraying him, I guess. Yeah. So they leave the safe house dressed as LL pilots. They see the Nazis coming and have to go out, get out through the back. Close call, yeah. They hotwire a car, but they have to leave two men behind since they can't all fit in the car. Mm-hmm. Klaus enters the safe house and the room and sees his father's bed. And Harrell and the LL pilot on the plane are waiting for the team. They're at a checkpoint when Eichmann starts to stir. Yeah. And it gives him some more sedative as he's stirring. They claim that he had too much to drink, I think. Or this is something specific. Ferner, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right as they're about, as they pass the security checkpoint, the security guard recognizes Ephraim from the sketch and calls Fulner. And that same security guard takes their landing permit from yeah. the uh, air traffic control tower. Yeah, so this is all very exciting, very reminiscent of Argo. Where mm-hmm. It's yeah. got to get the plane out. As they're on the plane, Malkin is apologizing to Hannah, but as and he's like, you know, we'll talk more up in the air. Mm-hmm. As they're, you know, going back to their seats, Malkin notices that the engines have stopped, have to make a stopover somewhere, and file, they've filed their landing permit, but it's now gone missing, which is suspicious. Guard, like, sabotaged them, we learned, because he's yeah, handled Yeah, that. I know, but for them, they don't know that. Yeah, this is exciting. It's yeah. good. So they have to run the permit over to the air traffic control tower. Malkin volunteers, runs up the stairs. They said, okay, they can go. Now, or the next slot, it's been 15 minutes. And as this is happening, Malkin can see the Nazis coming up to the plane. So he says, nope, go now. Uh, I'll get out of there another way. So I remember this was a criticism at the time of the movie, that there's this very dramatic moment where they leave him behind, but then he's just fine. I mean, he's a spy. He can figure out his own way home. Yeah, I know, but it's not a big sacrifice then for him. I mean, it's supposed to be dramatic, but that doesn't necessarily need to... I mean, we also have the moment of the sacrifice of the other two guys, the who right, who just one of them is a Haroni, but and like, we just never see them again either. Yeah, well, they're fine. <laughs> yeah, I assume so too. So I wasn't really necessarily worried about him. I was just more of a it's more of a dramatic tension, but right. Uh, but yeah, so the Nazis are stopped at the gate, and Klaus tries to get through with a gun, doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, Klaus is really into it. I mean, I guess it is his father slash uncle on the plane. Mm-hmm. Malkin sees the plane take off, and as they're in the air, the team ha- on board has sighs of relief, and one of the uh, flight attendants, you see him sort of having tears, and yep. you can see his uh, Holocaust tattoo. Mm-hmm. So you get a little voiceover um, about Eichmann you know, being brought to Israel, we see that Silvio's father is released and Rafi is watching as they return home. Mm-hmm. Klaus is, he grabs a Nazi flag seemingly out of storage and just, you know climbs up onto his roof and puts it up there next to the Argentinian flag. Yeah, I think there was some kind of indication that like, oh, we're not going to stop. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's based in real life, though, mm-hmm. based on what I recall the book. Yeah. We see Eichmann in his cell and his wife coming to visit. So it means that Malkin kept his promise. Right. And we see Malkin at the trial of Eichmann. And there's this big line to get in. He doesn't have tickets. He just shows his ID. Right. And like, right They're wearing the these line. really ugly 60s suits, especially <laughs> Rafi, a.k.a. Nick Kroll, looks really bad. No, I mean, I, I, mean, I actually like 
the look of Oscar Isaac's suit. Okay, what about Nick Kroll's? All right, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Nick Kroll. That's fine. It's just the 60s cut. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look terrible. Okay, fine. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're seeing. I'm very curious now. They go in. They're showing film of or photos and film from the Holocaust with Eichmann watching it behind a glass box. Yep. Do you know why he's in a glass box? I assume it's a bulletproof box. I don't yeah, know, that's, actually. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. To prevent someone from assassinating him. Yeah. Malkin takes a seat and sees Eichmann. The prosecution starts their case, and at which point Eichmann notices Malkin. And Malkin mm-hmm. also sees Hannah, who is now pregnant with some other guy. Yep. I guess things didn't work out between yeah, them. Yeah, well, they didn't get to have their big talk on, on the plane. Nope. <laughs> so she moved on. During a break, we see Malkin walking away. Rafi, you know, sees him, asks if he's going back in. He says, no one will blame you if you didn't. You know, just, you know, that if you let just let it go. And mm-hmm. Mal- Malkin decides he's not going to go in and sees a vision of Fruma and her children sort of, you know, walking through the forest. Moving on, you might yeah. say. He's moving on. So he leaves and he doesn't go back in. And then we get some more text at the end. June 1, 1963, Adolf Eichmann was hanged, having been found guilty of transporting millions of people to their deaths. He was mm-hmm. cremated in an oven built for the occasion, and his ashes were spread in the sea, so he would ha- might have no final place of rest. The trial was televised globally. It was the first time that eyewitness testimony of the Holocaust was seen by the world. Malkin kept the mission secret from his mother until she laid on her deathbed. She said, I knew you wouldn't forget Fruma. Peter Malkin died in 2005, survived by his wife and children. So he did become a family guy, family man, which they talked about earlier in the movie. Yeah, and with that, our movie ends. All right. Okay, so I have a lot of spy fact versus fiction, if you want to go first. Sure. So one of the things I have first is the medication used to drug him Mm -hmm. uh, was helipopulin. Haloperidol, which is from WebMD. It's actually used to treat certain mental mood disorders, such, such as schizophrenia and psychoaffective disorders. Medicine actually helps you think more clearly, feel less nervous, and take part in everyday life. But presumably, in higher doses, it will also act right. to sedate you. It's a primitive 1960s knockout. Yeah. Speaking of Hannah, she is a fictional character who is modeled after Yona Elian, who is Israeli anesthesiologist and Holocaust survivor, who was mm. the one who actually survived or sedated Eichmann during the operation. And this is from Wikipedia. Mm. Um, but there was a mention of her, well, Hannah in the movie, but y- Yona in real life, saying that, you know, she got someone killed in the movie. So this was based on a real life event where in 1954, Elian, who was a civilian anesthesiologist, was recruited to sedate a Israeli officer accused of espionage, espionage is whose name was Alexander Israel. When I was reading, I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it was funny. confusing because <laughs> Israel being his last right. name. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he, yeah, uh, Yona was recruited to sedate Israel out of, uh, for a flight out of Rome, but the drugs inadvertently killed him. Okay. I was wondering what they were referring to in that yeah. part. Yeah. It was a reference to this incident in the real life with Yona Elian. By the way, that is why Israel, the country's official name, is the state of Israel. And that's because 
to avoid getting mixed up with like Israel, the biblical character, or right. the land of Israel, or Israel Kama Kama Wui, the Hawaiian ukulele player. Kamaka Viva Ole. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, so this is from Wikipedia. So the Cyanim, the name that I keep kept forgetting or forgetting how to pronounce, are yep. uh, so uh, Cyanim or Cyan uh, in Hebrew means helpers or assistants. They're recruited to provide logistical support for Mossad operations, uh, usually yeah, local Jewish uh, or non-Israeli citizens. That's all? Well, that's what I got from Wikipedia. Okay. Yeah, it's a little bit uncomfortable, the idea that they recruit local Jews, because as you may recall from our Jonathan Pollard episode, mm-hmm. it's a, a stereotype about Jews is that they will undermine the countries they live in. And right. in this movie, they literally do that. Now, it's different when it's a military dictatorship yeah. like Argentina. And they're literal Nazis. Yeah, I don't know to what extent these guys are still used today or how uh, much they were used back in the day. Uh, I hope they're not still used today. Doesn't say according to Wiki- well, Wikipedia, okay. so I have no idea. When they've grabbed him and they're escaping and they get past the checkpoint with the CD uh, little tags. Mm-hmm. So those are actually diplomatic license plates. Okay. And so CD, the letters on it stand for Corps Diplomatique. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so just adding those little plates to the, nowadays, the actual it's a specific license plate by itself. It's not like you add the, those tags to another car. Right. And yeah, so and those, that's information from Wiki, that I found on Wikipedia. Yeah, good thing for them. It's not dedicated plates because the CDs are probably a lot easier to get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's what I've got. So what do you have? Okay, so I have quite a bit. Mostly, actually, I think it's entirely from Hunting Eichmann, How a Band of Survivors and a Young Spy Agency Chased Down the World's Most Notorious Nazi by Neil Baskoff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so before the movie begins, there were a lot of attempts to find Eichmann, and a lot of them led nowhere. Like, it just led down an empty trail, and they lost the trail again. So do you know Simon Wiesenthal? No. Do you know who that is? Okay, so he's a famous Nazi hunter, Holocaust survivor, and there's a, a... agency called the Simon Wiesenthal Center today that is anti, anti-Semitism, anti-racism. But anyway, so he searched for Eichmann for years. And there's a couple of funny stories from that. So one time he was sitting in his apartment looking at his list of names of people he suddenly defined, and he underscored the name Eichmann because mm-hmm. he learned about his role. So Wiesenthal's landlady entered to clean the room. She looked over his shoulder and said, hey, Eichmann, Oh, that must be the SS General Eichmann who was in command of the Jews. Do you know that his parents live on this street? Just a few houses (laughs) along at number 32. Wow. So that was one. Right. And then another time, Simon was, he was searching, he was searching, he was searching, and he was getting totally burned out. So his friends told him, you need a hobby. How about Mm -hmm. stamp collecting? That's a very popular hobby. So he got into stamp collecting. And he found all these really obscure stamps. He did his thing. And one time he visited an Austrian baron to compare stamp collections. Mm-hmm. And at one point, the baron gave him a letter from a Luftwaffe colonel based in Argentina. And Weisenthal read what was inside. Because the baron was just like, take a look at that stamp. Yeah. That's like a Nazi Germany stamp. Pretty cool. So right. he found inside a note that said, there are some people here we both used to know. A few more are here whom you've never met. Imagine who else I saw and even had to talk to twice. That awful swine Eichmann who commanded the Jews. He lives near Buenos Aires and works for a water company. Wow. How do you like that? The Baron said, some of the worst of the lot got away. And Weisenthal was like, can I borrow this letter? (laughs) 
a Jersey rabbi asked the CIA to help with the hunt mm. for Eichmann, and they just said, we are not in the business of apprehending war criminals. Hmm. Okay. But they said that even if they did find him, they'd just give him to West Germany. Uh. But West Germany didn't want to put him on trial because there were highly placed ex-Nazis in the current West German government. Current at the time. <laughs> yeah, it would just make everybody look bad. Right. All right. So the part with the with the British army guys killing a Nazi yeah. in the movie, that goes down slightly differently in real life. First of all, okay. it took place in 1946, not okay. 1954. I don't know why they changed it. Right. And they found a house that Eichmann's wife and brother had visited and four men were living there. Hmm. So they busted in and they grabbed one. They tossed it in a jeep and drove away. We are Jews, Adolf Eichmann, one of them said, and we've got a big score to settle with you. And their guy said, he was a killer. I was only a soldier. You are good people. Show me mercy. And they said, you know how much mercy you showed to the Jewish people. Ultimately, the prisoner admitted that he had killed some Jews, but only because why? Because he was following orders. That's right. And after a while, though, he gave up and said, all you can do is kill me. So they did. So that's hmm. how it went down. No, interesting. And I'm... I did wonder in the movie whether that I was like that doesn't look like Eichmann so I don't know if that, that was supposed to be that same story that Eichmann was telling about how someone got mistaken for him or if that was just a setup just to show uh, Peter Malkin doing his job and also maybe not being the best at his job right I also felt like because they had in 1954 they showed that it took years and they weren't giving up and they were still going after him hmm. yeah. yeah okay continue there's a part where they say, we got a picture of you from one of your mistresses. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that in the movie? No. They were able to get that picture with the use of a Romeo spy agent. Ah, yes. So the Israelis used a local Argentinian named Juan to try to make contact with Nick Clement mm -hmm. by having him pose as a messenger trying to get a package to Nick Clement so they could figure out where he was living. Mm -hmm. Juan was looking, he was looking, he was looking, and then reported back to his handler, we got the wrong guy. His name is Eichmann, not Clement. <laughs> so his handler had to be like, oh, that's okay. You still did a good job. Nice job. It's okay. Most of the agents were Shin Bet agents and not Mossad agents. And yeah. like you mentioned, they were all men and they all look kind of similar. There's a picture of them and, you know, I, I had trouble telling them apart. So yeah. Rafi Eitan, which was Nick Kroll's character, yeah. had been nicknamed Rafi the Stinker. Because okay. he crawled through a sewer system to blow up a British radar installation during Israel's War of Independence. Uh, he was inspired to be a spy after seeing a movie about Matahari. Oh, I wonder which Matahari film. So Rafi was also extremely nearsighted and wore Coke bottle glasses that made his eyes seem to bulge out of his face. <laughs> he was also deaf in his right ear, also oh. from the war. Okay. They were not there for 10 days, and okay. El did not need a signed piece of paper in order to fly him out. So they okay. always knew they were going to be there for a while. Uh -huh. And the 150th anniversary, you were right about that. They were always going to do that. Mm -hmm. So that was all fine. There was a little bit I read on historyversalywood.com. They did want Eichmann to sign a piece of paper, but it was just to confirm who he was. Uh... It wasn't like El was like, we're not flying him until you sign it. There wasn't right. anything like that. Eichmann was late on the day of the capture because he had a labor union meeting. Okay. And the Israelis had to decide whether to keep waiting or stick it out, which they did. I don't have this written down, but I seem to remember from my memory of the book that 
the Nazis branded a Jewish girl with the swastika on her chest, but mm-hmm. it was just some random person they were harassing oh, to be dicks, okay. not a spy that they had captured. <laughs> and then the last thing that I got is on arrival, the plane had some problems. It almost crashed Ooh. because the Brazilians use meters and not feet. Oh, so no. when they came out of the cloud cover, they nearly hit the treetop. And then on the way back, they didn't want to stop in Brazil again. So they strained the plane's engines to reach Uruguay so they could refuel. Mm-hmm. At one point, the pilot joked that they came around and asked for people's lighters because they needed the extra fuel. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, and then the whole thing about the tower, that was because of errors on the flight plan. Oh, so yeah. it wasn't because there was a, a secret Nazi in the, in the airport. Right. That being said, they the police missed them by a half an hour. So it was pretty okay. darn close, but not as yeah. close as it was in the movie. Right. And that is all I have for fact versus fiction. All right. So that's spy fact versus spy fiction. Why don't we go into some favorite quotes? Uh, uh, I'll go first. Yeah, this wasn't the most quotable movie, but... We I mean, there are, there are a lot of good... Uh, well, a lot of jokes that I were found for funny. I was like, can I get away with tailing Jewish jokes? I don't think so. Well, take a look and let's see. Well, I picked the ones that were basically not. So, I, I mean, I did have the... To be the perfect Nazi, you have to be as slim as Goring, as tall as Goebbels, and as blonde as Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Lyft is an, is, an, uh, is an Arab cheese. Is it? I didn't ask to see its papers. That, I think, was a little bit of a shot at the Israeli government, probably. Mm. And then history remember only remembers the tall people. What about Napoleon? Who? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, the Kroll got a lot of the good ones. Yeah. I also have, has someone broken the bad news to her yet about Sylvia oh. being Jewish? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Someone says to Peter Malkin, not everyone's as emotionally balanced as you are. <laughs> uh, someone says about... Peter Malkin, he lets everyone down. So the whole thing with Malkin's character was a lot of telling and not showing, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that's why that first scene was there. It was supposed to show us that he, you know, he's not the best at his job, but it didn't do it well enough. You didn't have enough. You have one thing of it. You don't have a whole thing of it. Yeah, so, yeah it's you're tough right. for these ones that are based on a true story to mm-hmm. do character stuff because they are real people and it gets messy. I like to accept my fate, and then finally, that steak better be good. <laughs> if I have. All right, so now it is time for our ratings on a scale of 1 to 10 martinis, 1 being Avengers 1997, and 10 being even better than Taken or No Time to Die. How would we rate Operation Finale? All right, you want to go first? Uh, sure. So it's more accurate than I remembered, mm-hmm. having read the book. So that was pretty darn good. I was impressed. I was constantly like, oh, they did this. Oh, they did this. Oh, they did this. That's neat. But they have the Argo problem where <laughs> a spy operation that went really well, they had Doesn't to have... fluff it. Yeah, they have to add more tension. Yeah, exactly. So it was pretty good. And it, it wasn't great. I do like Israel stuff so that pushes up slightly. I will give it a six and a half out of ten. All right. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. Like, I it, I remember enjoying it, you know, the machinations of it when I watched it in the first time. Second time, you know, I, I like had a memory of what was happened, but I was like, I didn't exact. I mean, I knew they got Eichmann out, but the whole process of it, I couldn't remember all of the details. And, you know, the fact that you said it's mostly accurate, you know, there's some inaccuracies there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to give it, I'm just slightly higher than you. I'm going to give a seven out of 10 martinis. Okay, yeah. We seem to think it was, like, pretty good. Okay. Alrighty, and with that, that ends our coverage of Operation Finale. Uh, Anything else you want to talk about? 
Nope, that's all. Thank you all for joining us. You can find us on social media at the SpyFi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And we are the SpyFi Guys signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.